my point of view on members versus non-members, I think that's a useless metric and not a useful metric. Now, i got to be careful because there are going to be millions of people who will be emailing me saying that's nonsense. We use it all the time. What I'm really saying, it's okay to do that, but bearing in mind exactly what, Jason, you just said, your member behavior is a correlation. It's correlated. The, the, the high spenders are members. They join the program because they'll get all the benefits because naturally they correlate to being high spenders. Hello, welcome to another episode of Shopology, a show all about the science of shopping behavior and the big trends in retail. I'm your host, Dr. Jason Pallant. I am a senior lecturer in the Department of Marketing at Swinburne University of Technology and also co-director of the Customer Experience and Insight Research Group. Now, in Shopology, I dive into some of the big trends around retail and try to unpack what's really driving them and what's driving consumer behavior in some of these emerging areas and some of those emerging trends. Now, over the last few months, the show has been on pause while I've been actually on parental leave. I'm really fortunate that Swinburne offers parental leave to either parent. It doesn't distinguish by gender. It's just based on whoever is the primary or secondary carer at the time. So, I was really fortunate that as my wife was transitioning back to work, I got to spend three months as the primary carer for our daughter. So, apologies that there haven't been any extra episodes, but that's where I have been. I've been keeping myself very busy doing all those parental duties. But the show is now back and we're back with a really interesting episode. This is an interview I did actually at the end of 2021 uh, with Adam Posner, who is a loyalty specialist and CEO of a company called Point of Loyalty. Adam and I have interacted a few times around the loyalty space because it's a space that I have written about a few times and been somewhat it's fair to say critical of a lot of loyalty programs in terms of questioning what real value they bring to companies. Now, we've seen, of course, that the data that loyalty programs can bring can be highly valuable. I myself have used it. I used it as part of my PhD, that data that you can get from being able to connect and identify people through a loyalty program. But there's still a really big investment that brands have to make in a loyalty program, and they often give give quite a lot of rewards and incentives for what they would call loyal customers. Now, as we get into with this chat with Adam, there's a real question there about whether that actually leads to any increase in purchasing behavior or what we might call loyalty because of this issue around self-selection. So, Adam actually has some really good responses to this challenge and reasons why he still sees that loyalty programs do actually increase loyalty and therefore can be valuable. And he gets into a variety of things there around what loyalty actually means, the different kinds of loyalty, and also the different currencies that consumers are looking for from a consumer loyalty program. I think it's a really interesting chat. And so I'm happy to kick off this year for Shopology with this episode because I think it's a really good one. Now, when he talks about there saying, he's saying next year a couple of times, he's meaning 2022, which is when most of you will be listening to this. And of course, that is because we recorded this before I went on leave. And so finally able to 
get this episode out so we can all see it. I'm really interested to hear your thoughts. If you are part of a loyalty program, you run one as part of your job or even just as a consumer, how do loyalty programs actually influence your behavior? Do you think they are making you more loyal to those brands or are they just rewarding you for behaviors that you are already doing? And what type of rewards really resonate to you as a consumer? Please do reach out. I'd love to hear it. But for now, here is my chat with Adam. Well, Adam, formally welcome to Shopology. It is an absolute pleasure to have you here. Jason, yeah, I've been hanging out waiting for this opportunity and thanks so much to, to chat with you. Yeah, it's it's amazing. I mean, we have back and forwarded a bit through, you know, LinkedIn, some social things, some some events around loyalty programs. And so it's actually nice to sit down and talk about it in depth um, together. Before we mm. get into the real nitty gritties of you know, loyalty programs and some of the trends, can you tell us a little bit about your background? Obviously, you're the CEO of Point of Loyalty. You author the For Love or Money reports. And you know, so you've, you've lived this loyalty life. What attracted you to loyalty programs as a sort of career? Yeah, it, it, it's interesting because um, in Australia, I've been 33 years living here, originally from South Africa, and I've been a marketing guy uh, for all those years. It started off really, my, my pedigree is direct marketing, and that's all with data. Let's face it, in the early days, back in the 90s, you know, it was direct mail, obviously, but I was born into data, and uh, that's where my love is. Whilst I'm not an absolute analytics freak, I, I just love data. And, and, you know, quite frankly, after all the years, um, and I've had my agency since 2007, uh, it was originally a direct marketing company. Then I realized loyalty programs collect so much data. Oh, my gosh, what a great place to, to, to throw the toys in with. And um, that's really why loyalty is my absolute love and passion because, the data it gains is just so beautiful and but but worth so much and not and really not being leveraged to its absolute potential yeah you're speaking my language there right because i would put i would say the same where i'm really fascinated about that data and have had some opportunities through some of my work to really leverage the data that comes from from those loyalty programs i was going to get to the sort of value of loyalty program data a bit later in our chat but let's dive into it right now i mean what do you see what attracted you what what from that data i guess really sparked your interest in terms of in terms of loyalty programs can you speak about that value of that data a little bit yeah it'll take a step back in the sense that you know i think brands whether you're retail or not when you've when you know your customers more intimately their purchase behavior but more than more than just first name surname and email and you know a little bit more about what they buy, when they buy, um, how often, you know, I call it, the, I've got my little acronym, F-R-A-T-E, frequency, recency, amount, type of product, and, and that's F-R-A-T, and the E is the engagement metric. So some have RFM, I've extended it to F-R-A-T-E a little bit more. So uh, the point I'm making around the data is that you essentially own that Data and when I say own, it obviously belongs to your customer, and they can ask to to be removed. But you're more in con- what I call you. It's known data. It's controlled and it's owned. So the asset is is powerful versus. And I'm not saying that social media isn't important in your mix, but you're you're you're, you're renting from the landlord. 
the social channels of the landlord. They change the algorithm. They change stuff, as you've, everyone knows, and you're renting. When you've got your own base of data, your own customers who have opted in and consented, that is you're the landlord. I, I like that analogy. I mean, I, I teach a unit. It's called Data Empowered Marketing, and we talk about you know how important data is to marketers in, in all kinds of factors and in all kinds of functions. And we do talk a lot about what I what I class as that internal data, right? So we talk about loyalty programs being that sort of internal, people might call it first-party data, yeah. where, you know, as you say, you're the landlord. I think that's really interesting timing if we look at like things around harder in terms of, you know, third-party data, cookies, all of this sort of online anonymity, the privacy sort of challenges that having people opt in to that data through loyalty programs seems, as you say, to be a massive asset that's going to really divide who is going to be successful in the future. Yeah, look, there is an overlay, overlay, sort of like a little bit of a cloud on, and by cloud, I mean dark cloud in terms of raining, in terms of privacy and and people really becoming far more more, uh, what I would call overtly aware of their uh, the value of their information, and there's you know a lot of people who talk about that. So the value exchange, and I know it's often used, is essentially you know if I give you my data because I'm buying from you and I know that I'm giving it to you, please use it sensitively with respect and with relevance. So you know it sounds beautiful in theory, but that's the essence of it, and um, that's why I think that 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 data is so valuable. Yeah, I agree. We, my colleagues and I actually published some research recently around what we called the consumer retailer data exchange. So, so again, that yep. exchange that you're talking about and yep. touching on this idea of the privacy personalization paradox right, mm. where consumers overall want more personalized, relevant offers to them. Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, we also want to protect our privacy in, in some ways yes. and forms. You know, and so Balancing that can be really challenging. It seems to me that loyalty programs can be one way to do that because you do know what people are buying. And so therefore, I think you called it relevance, that idea of giving them actually what they're interested in and showing them that you're using that data for a valuable purpose. Correct. Adding to my life. And I keep saying my, I'm the customer, always living inside the shoes of the of the, the member, the customer, whomever they are. Um and, and it's interesting we talk about because in my For Love or Money research study, uh, there's a question I ask uh, around consumers around what I call the net data trust score, which is, uh, you know, a zero to 10 score, asking members of programs how much they trust loyalty programs with their data. And it's a pure score and it's negative and it has been for a couple of years. It's getting better. But I always say to my clients and or prospects, you know, how often do you ask your client, your customers, how much do they trust you with their data? It's a very bold question. You've got to be brave <laughs> because uh, it puts it out in the open. But there it is, transparency. Yep. Yeah, and that transparency is really interesting as well because I find that when I talk to, whether it's my students and we talk about all of this data that is being collected about them and we actually dive in to start using it or if I'm talking sort of publicly to consumers around the roles of data and the type of data that's been collected. It seems that sometimes that awareness is not even there. Like consumers don't always necessarily know what is being collected about them and how it is being used. Yeah. And that when that is then told to them often by other parties, right, there's yeah. a media report or there's a big data leak or something happens, yeah. suddenly they're like, oh, my God, I've got to 
you know, cut up all my cards and I don't yeah, want to yeah. do it. So again, my advice to a lot of retailers is, is make it transparent. Tell, yeah. tell consumers, but also show them what you're doing with it. What yeah. have you seen in terms of, I guess, good practice or what advice do you give around either how to be transparent or how to show some of that value? Um, yeah, a couple of points on that. And again, I always am checking the sentiment of, of, of members or customers in my research. And, and one of them is, and it's the old favorite, the terms and conditions. And I actually asked in my study, do you read terms and conditions? And 40% said yes, 60% said no. And when and I asked 40% again, of people are liars, right? Who, yeah, well, really? Is well, it 40%? Which was quite a high amount. Do you read them? Right. So so then I thought, well, for the six minutes, I said, no, why don't you? And there again, he has the tip, which is too long, too hard, too complicated, too many weasels, as I call little this and that, little weasels. You would know what they are when I say them. Hidden stuff, um, just lots of words. And so I've seen some recent examples. And look, quite frankly, you got me on the hop. I haven't got them right in front of me of loyalty programs, terms and conditions who are a written in beautiful tone. So simple and even like friendly tone. And you know, the, you know, they've changed the copy, so it's copy friendly. It's not not reams of, of words. It's a quick a, a free, you know, FAQ, so it's a quick question and answer, a quick question and answer. So whilst there's terms always, because it's a, it's a transactional relationship here, they've simplified them and made them more easy to access and read, not hidden away. So there's the first sort of story. Um, clearly, when you're signing up to something, you want to get many as, as many members to join, so you don't want to create barriers or too many friction points and read this, read that, tick this, tick that. But consent is critical. And, look, I'm no legal person, so anyone reading this, do not take any legal advice from this. Um, but, you know, open and consent and um, transparency with how I'm going to use it, who, where is it going, how you're storing it. And in fact, sorry to keep going on this topic, but in the, again, in the study, we asked members, what do you consider when providing your data, and there was seven factors, and the number one factor two years in a row is security. Would you believe? I would have thought, and it's third or second, is how are you going to use it, and who are you? There was brand credibility. There were seven factors, and I haven't got them on top of my head, but the number one was security. That is really interesting. I wonder if you could point that to some really publicised sort of uh, you know, data breaches or failure of that security that we've seen, you know, the Cambridge Analytica kind of thing comes to mind where I think for a lot of consumers that brought to mind that, oh, I actually have this lot of data that yeah. exists about me and it's maybe not secure. Something I get my students to do actually if they're Facebook members is to go and, you know, click those boxes where you can access everything that Facebook has about you, right? And and it's every private message you've ever written and it's every sort of website you've ever clicked onto from Facebook. And, you know, I think, again, it's that sort of awareness of, yes, we have agreed to the terms and conditions, but as you say, most of us haven't read it or if we have read it, we haven't understood it. Um, so that yeah. idea of that, I really like that idea of a really simple language sort of, you know, this is what we collect and this is why and this is how we use it yeah. seems a really nice solution. Yeah. You mentioned the the for money, for love or money, sorry, report that you do do. And we were talking before we started that I believe next year is the 10th year of this report, which looks at, you know, the state of the industry, some big trends. I'm really interested in terms of over that time, or even just from the latest edition, some of the the big consistent findings or big insights that you found that 
know about the industry or the state of loyalty from yeah. those reports? Yeah. Uh, well, I am both privileged and, you know, I mean, I put a lot of effort, time, money and resource into the study. So 10 years, I cannot believe actually 2013, I, was, I started with a, a, a chat with a friend of mine, Pete Noble, um, and how it's just blossomed from there. Um, so, yeah, it, it is a big study next year. It is after 10 years and I do have lots of trends and, and tracking. But every year it's something new I'm, I'm researching or trying to find out another insight around consumer behavior, around programs. So what have I seen that I think just call out for the moment is there's this one key metric that I follow always um, is what I call activity. So every brand says I've got millions of members and the next question we should say is, well, how active are they? Now, every brand that has a program will know what that activity rate is and will define it according to the member behavior and the the category they're in, you know, the frequency you know, a category that you spend every week in like groceries, different to perhaps fashion two or three times a year kind of frequency. So active members is a key metric, and that has been trending down in my study. And I have a very generic uh, description. I just say, you know, you've actively presented yourself as a member to your program with a purchase at least once in a year. That's my overall general definition of activity. And that's trending down, which is sad because, for me, it's like, you know, as I keep saying, volume is for vanity, activity is for sanity. And that to me for programs just keeps engagement, they can call it whatever it is, keeps you sane as to, you know, you might have a lot of members, but are they actively engaged in your program? So that's one trend that's dropping a bit. And I've got a whole range of hypotheses as to why, but we could talk about that um, you know, a little bit more in a, in a moment. I'm seeing some trends in, and we, it's also a part of, what I see next year and it's become massive this year is card linking. So um, you would be familiar with that, which is linking your payment card into your program membership and you just tap, you know, you tap pay and get rewards. It's all instant. It's seamless. I mean, you know, you are handing over your, your cards and there's certain populations that may not do that, but certainly it's becoming more mainstream. And and my report shows, an, uh, I think, a 400% increase in members engaging in programs through card linking. If I got the stats correct. So that's another trend, and that will continue next year. I mean, all the, the new cashback programs are all part of that sort of linking in your payment uh, and giving away that, that that piece of information to get the cashback, yeah? So those are two so far. Yeah, there are some big trends. You mentioned their sort of active participation declining, at least in, in your study. You mentioned you've got a few hypotheses without giving away, you know, all of the uh, – all of the secret sauce that's in the reports. I mean, what what do you point to? What are sort of the big things? Is it is it program design? Is it competition in the space? You know, what, what's what's your big sort of takeaways? Um, everything you just said plus more. So absolutely, there's no one single uh, bullet here um, nugget. It's a plethora of an integration of the strategy, understanding your customer base. Um, the proposition you just said, so the program proposition, is it just the usual bland points, as I call it, points, perks and birthdays, or is there a bigger problem sort of engagement piece in the in the program? Um, and that's a big piece of what I do, what I call, um, you know, taking loyalty programs out of the sea of sameness, because if it's just points, perks and birthdays all the time, what else? Because everyone's giving those away and doing that. So it just becomes blah. 
You need to really dig deeper. And every category is different. There's some great categories, which are passion categories, like, you know, Adore Society is doing a great job with because they're, you know, got a passionate following. Um, you know, Barbecue's just launched a non-points program, a non-financial program, all about passion around barbecuing, but they've got a range of benefits and rewards and content. So all I'm saying to you is that to the activity rate is about, and then it's the experience, yeah? How do I join? How do I engage? Is it easy or is there a lot of uh, friction? So back to you, you highlighted, and then the competitive landscape. So luckily for me, it's not one, it's a number of factors so that I can help brands do better. Yeah, the program design and, you know, that sameness you mentioned around just sort of giving points, I think is, is a really pertinent point around, you know, everybody is doing it and we know that consumers are, increasingly you know moving away from just transactional or wanting just transactional relationships of just buying stuff and then getting something in return to more of that experiential or personalized side of experience and loyalty programs it seems to me that some of the the more successful ones are moving more in that direction of trying to there's some sort of exclusivity or you you're there's some sort of additional experience or additional benefits that you're unlocking as a result of this loyalty program not just spend x dollars and and get you know y back yeah let's talk about that for a little because um i i've got what i call the six currencies that customers care about when i build a program proposition and i'll just briefly go through with them for your audience the fundamental one at the base level is money you know it's financial it's 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 very much about you do need a financial because it is transactional. People want something for their money, right? So that's very much about show me the money, which is what I always talk about the customer. The next layer is what I call memory, which is about experiences. So how do you in your program do what I call uh, add moments of magic or, you know, some joy? And there's a word I've, I've got called joyalty which is how do you add some more moments of magic into the experience, you know, whether it's through rewards that are experiences or that's that surprise and delight or, you know, but it's more than money is essentially is memory. The next layer in the currencies is time or service-based or functional-based benefits. So the digital receipt is the go-to sort of um, making my life easy, maybe even saving the environment. So, But there's a range of other time-based benefits. The fourth currency is me. Me meaning you know, I got my data, make it personal. So it's uh, it's a and you said the two words. It's ego and exclusivity. It's e squared as I call it. So it's me. It's personal. Show me that you know me. Make me feel special. The next currency, number five, is what's called choice, which is all about my choice. Give me choice. Don't just tell me that I'm going to get a five dollar birthday voucher. Put it in your program. Would you like a gift or would you like this? So give me a bit more choice because people do need a little bit more, especially today's, we want a bit more control and choice, yeah, rather than that, uh, you know, you're a parent, um, you know, you get what you get and you don't get upset. It's not that. It's give me choice. Um, and the, the last currency is what I call the currency of us or social cause and community. Um, so connect me with like-minded people or a community like that barbecues idea, glow idea, or give to charity through and grilled have a great program when if you've bought burgers, you know, you get little bottle tops and you pop them in and they give them out to charity, as do Richie's the community supermarkets with their fifty million plus dollars going back to the community through their program. 
So money, memory, time, me and us, the six currencies that a program needs to look at and work out what what to, to either blend or focus on. I really like that that structure. And one of the questions I had down here to ask you is essentially just straight up, you know, a point's dead, right? Because you hear, see articles every so often where someone proclaims something is dead in, in retail world. It's always physical stores are dead, you know, and then they're not dead. Right. Yeah. So interesting, like without wanting to, to presume your answer, but it sort of sounds like the points can still be relevant, but as a part of a program, not the entire program. Uh, absolutely, they're still relevant. There's no question. Um, and you can be a bit more creative. Um, so, you know, you've, you, but a point is a, a mechanism that is a currency, yeah? So you're hiding your financial through points. That's what essentially it is. Plus, it gives people more opportunity to build an economy so you get points for surveys and referrals. So you can build an economy through interactions, not transactions. Yeah? So that's why points are still so powerful. But maybe being more creative around, you know, you don't have to call them points these days. You can be coins, coins or carrots or coupons or stars. So you add that to your, your the essence of your program. So, yes, it is still a currency, um, but it's not just a point. Yeah, it's interesting. I think about some of the the loyalty programs that, you know, I'm, I'm part of and, and that carrot idea, you know, I, I'm definitely earning carrots through one of them definitely earning sort of credits through another, yeah. you know, it's different sort of ways, but they, they can then be used for different things. That, that choice idea you came, you mentioned, you know, I think is really interesting as well. Like I'm a bit of a, a gamer when I can be, or I was no. before, before the kids. Right. And so no. with, uh, with Microsoft and with the Xbox, you know, I earn points for playing and doing yes. different things and being a subscriber, but then I can choose, do I want that to auto roll over to be a discount on my subscription? Yes. Do I want to use it for a gift card? Do I want to use it for a discounted game or a month of Disney plus, or, you know, like I've, I've got all that choice, which I've, I personally find really empowering as a consumer. Fascinating that you're into games because that's essentially, you know, what programs are. You set goals, you create the rules, and then you give a dialogue or feedback, and it's a loop. Yeah, that that idea of, of gaming and gamification I think is really interesting. I was actually going to bring it up when you mentioned earlier about, you know, sort of the program design where I think, you know, like any sort of trend, you know, people can jump on it without fully understanding what it means or, or getting into it, right? Because I think a lot of companies and, and then as a flow through to loyalty programs sort of thought gamifying, it means, you know, little stickers pop up and something happens and you just get a little badge for nothing. But it's really, as you, as you say, there's that inherent sort of goal. There's a learning and an, yep. an achievement and there's a feedback loop, you know, that's yes. sort of the essence of games. Yes. And that flowing through into loyalty programs, I think is a really interesting idea. Uh, totally. And, uh, you know, well-structured loyalty programs with that is a very powerful for engagement and like you just said, so um, you'd make a great loyalty program consultant because you love games and you'll build everything around that psychology and that structure. Yeah, games, data and psychology. It sounds like uh, you and I have got some some overflows there in terms <laughs> of uh, those interests. but. I'm interested. So I want to ask you a really big question here, which I think flows on from what we've been talking about, and is that everything you're talking about, like this loyalty programs are 
a challenging, right? To to build and maintain and to, uh, you know, it takes a lot of investment to actually do it. And I think the big question that can often be asked there is, you know, is that investment worth it? We talked about the value of the data. I think definitely on that side, we're not going to get any disagreements that that data is a valuable asset and resource. I think mm-hmm. what can be questioned sometimes is what impact loyalty programs actually have on customer loyalty, right? So does having this program, does being a member of a loyalty program actually increase my loyalty or make me spend more, spend more frequently with a brand, right? And so the context to this is one of my sort of first exposures into this loyalty program space was as a PhD student, actually, and I was asked to review and critique a new academic study that had sort of just been released in one of the top journals. And what they had done was looked at loyalty programs and do they actually lead to loyalty under the lens of what they at the time called this self-selection effect, right? So this is the idea that in a loyalty program setting, uh, if I am just comparing members with non-members, right, and how much they spend, it's going to look like members spend a lot more than non-members, right? But the issue there is that people who were already loyal or who were already spending more with a brand are more likely to choose to join the loyalty program. So it can be harder to unpack, you know, am I spending more because I'm a member of the loyalty program or am I I a loyalty program member because I spend more? So I'm Ah. interested in your sort of your thoughts on this dynamic of, you know, this self-selection and and what actual impact loyalty programs do have. Wow. Okay. First of all, everything you said is very, very interesting. And uh, uh, let's just dig into one or two of of those. My point of view on members versus non-members, I think that's a useless metric and not a useful metric. Now, i got to be careful because there are going to be millions of people who will be emailing me saying that's nonsense. We use it all the time. What I'm really saying, it's okay to do that, but bearing in mind exactly what Jason, you just said. Your member behavior is a correlation. It's correlated. The, the, the high spenders are members. Be, they join the program because they'll get all the benefits because naturally they correlate to being high spenders, right? And so measuring members versus non-members is okay, and I, I'll, I'll qualify my useless back to it's okay, but it's not a useful metric. What you should be measuring is the causation, which is the incremental increase in members who spend that little bit more because of the program, which you can measure, and that one more time because of the program, which you can measure off a base of a base level. So everything that you've said is fascinating, and it's the correlation versus causation is another way of framing back to your to the way you expressed it. Um, and this members versus non-members. So back to so that hopefully has given you a point of view of what I think around that metric and that. Yes, I do get, well, why should we have a loyalty program and reward people who spend with us anyway? Okay, so let's go down that that thought for a moment. There's four revenues that a program can have an impact on. Number one is what I call retained revenue. So you will have customers who are spending with you anyway, either through convenience or otherwise because they just love you, they will spend with you anyway, and you're rewarding them to retain them. So retained revenue is worth investing in. The next revenue is what I call um, uh, growth revenue. So this is the revenue when you're driving those incremental 
behaviors spend more and more often. The other revenue that you don't realize comes from programs is referral revenue. So if you're doing a great job within your program and you're driving through mechanisms like incentives to refer, you get new customers that are referred. Referral revenue is a very low-cost revenue. It's, no, it's low or no cost because you've done a great job, you've surprised and delighted, and I've walked in, I've told everyone about this amazing program, and guess what? They all join, and that's a referral. And the fourth revenue is renewed revenue. So those winbacks, lapsed, or inactives that a lot of brands do great jobs with and, you know, where have you been, especially retail, um, you know, we miss your kind of campaign orientation. But they've looked at their data set, seen that people in the last, who used to shop, twelve, you know, regularly in 12 months have, have not shopped for 12 months and they go back to them and they get them back and it's renewed revenue. So four revenues, and I'm not talking about cost at this stage because loyalty programs, are they worthwhile? Great question. And it's all about the financial model. And um, and talking about financial models, if I can, I mean, I think that in, in 2022, loyalty programs really need to look at the fitness of their financial models. And I've been doing a lot of work in that space, and uh, it might be a little bit dry, but boy, does it make a difference if you get your financial model right. Look, very comprehensive answer. Um, and I think backing you up on that is actually, I was just reading this morning, a, a much more recent sort of uh, what they call meta-analysis study, right, which actually took 110 other studies, including the one that I referenced before, and sort of tried to unpack across all of those different studies, you know, if we combine all of their results, what are the trends, right? Because one of the challenges with looking at any study is different contexts. You mentioned before the impact that loyalty program design has, right? So one type of program might increase loyalty while another one might not. Right. And so across these 110 studies, they did actually find quite a significant impact of loyalty programs on loyalty, which I yeah. think is uh, in line with what you were saying that that revenue. Something that they did find, which I think was really interesting, is that they were talking about the difference between behavioral loyalty, right? So I repeat purchase yeah. from somewhere and what they called attitudinal loyalty uh, or that sort of more emotional. I think you. You talk about this in your For Love you. of Money report. Um, um, I'm so glad you asked. I'm busting to to jump in and discuss it with you because, you know, we talk about this word loyalty. It's just a, an absolute passion point of mine, which is what is loyalty? So loyalty is not a program, first of all. Loyalty is in my two dimensions, behavior and belief. Everyone has different words. Some say emotional. I, you know, behavior is transactional. I buy more and more often over the longer term. Remember time over the longer term when competitors are around me, right? Be, be, belief is the emotional connection, the trust, the uh, love for the brand and the recommendation or the you know, telling others. So those two dimensions are what I call loyalty, behavior and belief. Now the question is, can loyalty programs influence loyalty? Absolutely behavior. And I'm, Believe also belief, which is that you know you make those magic moments. You tell people, they tell out. Uh, sorry, you deliver them, they tell others, which is recommendation and referral. So, I'm glad you brought that up because loyalty programs can influence those, but not it's not they're not the only mechanism to do that. Uh, you know, they often get asked. Sorry to keep going on this, but do we really need a loyalty program? And I ask that same question: Do you really need one? Why? 
And clarity on why is absolutely, from there on, um, you can build a great program. But um, to your point, the loyalty is, is, a, is a great concept, yet most people think of it as transactional. It, it strikes me then that this goes back to some of that design of the program you're talking about before where I could see that, you know, you mentioned the points still being relevant of that rewarding that transactional behavior is you know, necessary for that behavioral loyalty. Like if I'm not getting anything for it, why would I come back? Versus some of those other, uh, uh, did you say currencies? I think you called them yeah, the six yeah, currencies, currencies where customers care about. Yep. Yeah. So some of that around the me and the us and some yep. of that personalization, that knowing me would be where some of that belief, what you call belief loyalty. Yeah. Because you, you start getting stuff that's personal and relevant and it's ego and exclusivity. And I feel special. So I feel, do you hear me? I feel special. So feel is emotional. I get recognized. I get a surprise. You know, I mean, we know that the airlines have been doing this for years with their, you know, their tiered status and how special you feel in, in certain parts, although you've earned it. Um, my point is, you're right. It's that emotional, you put, you've got to put into your program pieces of the puzzle that actually push and create emotional connection. I like that answer. I like as well that earlier you were mentioning about, you know, not that uh, member v non-member is necessarily useful, useless, but not at the same time not being overly useful and rather looking for that sort of what I would call in the research terms that pre-post difference. Yes. Uh, so before joining, after joining, what are the changes you can observe in that person's behavior? Um, and we also talk about difference in difference, meaning you know, things could change over time because of what the the brand itself is doing. And so actually comparing that to changes in non-members, right? Who are people spending more because our products got better yes. or are people spending more because the loyalty program itself has done something? And that can and be- And therein lies the beautiful challenge that we have, which is the program is not in an, it's not sitting in a vacuum. It's not an isolated benefit. It's the brand, it's the experience, it's the service you get, it's the pricing, it's the product, it's, you know, all of the, what I call be brilliant at the basics. And then a program augments it. So you're spot on when you said, you know, all of those other elements that sometimes can't, that, that influence loyalty. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, retail, I mean, and not even just retail, but we need to think of it as a, I, I talk about, you know, the holistic customer experience, right? So the customer doesn't necessarily see or care that this is a loyalty program campaign and this is a not, mm. you know, a, a just a general campaign or this is, you know, they just experience what they experience with that brand name or label on it, right? And mm. so thinking about how all of those things interplay and connect, and I liked your point about the loyalty program being just one part, get the basics right, First, because that's a lot of our research. When we talk to customers, we ask them, you know, what makes an exceptional experience? Tell us about an exceptional experience you've had and what made it. And the vast majority of it is sort of basic stuff. Like I walked mm. in there, the product was on the shelf. It was the right price and I could get out quickly. Mm. You know? So it's like if those things are not there, a loyalty program is not going to save you. It's about having those fundamentals. And then I think you used the word augment of, of yes. building upon with yes. the loyalty program. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, a little, just a case in point here, Just I, I bought a new wetsuit because um, um, I love swimming out in the bay in Melbourne and it's quite cold. And 
the experience I had was phenomenal. I mean, the, the guy showed me how to put it on so I never tear it. He gave me white gloves so within the package. He showed me some tips and tricks so they don't get the, the chafing on the neck and stuff that I would if I just got it and, like, you know, I would have blamed the brand if I got – I would say, oh, this is a crap wetsuit, sorry. This is a bad wetsuit um, because I'm getting – you know, I didn't fit properly, but he showed me everything. And I walked out and I thought, oh, my gosh. And here I am telling you, and the brand's Orca, so I've just told you and your audience the great experience I've had um, and and everything they did. And that's that currency you were talking about before of the the I think the me or yes. the you in this case, you know. Yeah. I, I mean, we've talked about some fascinating topics. I think we could go on any of these for much longer extended period of time, really delving into the weeds around loyalty programs and program design. I'm interested before we wrap up around some of what you see as the the future trends around loyalty. Mm. What do you see on the horizon? I was reading recently, for example, around this idea of NFTs and tokenized loyalty. Yeah. Um, yes. But I know as well that you know, you've got some Sort of ideas about what might be on the horizon. What do you? What can you share with us as predictions for uh, the loyalty space? So during the year, every year, obviously, I read a lot and I do and I implement programs and always researching and all that. So I keep a little collection of all the things that I think will become, you know, either trends or you know, build upon themselves every year. And I've got for twenty twenty two, I'm going to re- release a free report called uh, the Renaissance Year of Loyalty Programs with thirty five. I've got 35 ideas, insights, points of view, perspectives, and predictions. So some of them are um, predictions. And and I think what you just highlighted there was um, cryptocurrency and NFTs, which everyone will understand as non-fungible tokens, or if they don't, they can look them up. There's a lot that's been speaking uh, around those digital currencies and um and, and, you know, there's a number of examples of brands who are releasing these, you know, unique digital currencies, Clinique, McDonald's, Nike, Sunny Skin, Jimmy Choo, Penfolds. I've been researching. They've all got some sort of a NFT to add more engagement with their customers or members, some of them within programs, some not. Um, you know, MasterCard has now created a, a partnership with Back to, to offer cryptocurrency with um, as a payment mechanism, and, and and Starbucks have now offered that. So there's examples now happening in a whole different landscape of digital currencies that are either within programs or being used by brands. Yeah, I, one thing I found fascinating in that I'm interested to hear any of your other predictions or topics you'd be willing to share as well, but this idea of, you know, I've been sort of diving down the rabbit hole of the NFT space a little bit as well, but this sure. idea in, in the loyalty space of it almost then becoming something that could be tradable, right? So yes. in, in a traditional loyalty program, it's my status, yeah. right? You know, I've or I've earned the points or whatever it is, I have those benefits. And now some programs will let you trade, you know, points with others, but not necessarily that status. And I was reading something about this idea of, tokenized loyalty then because of linking to those nfts those tokens being something that you could then almost sell you know like i have these i have these token rewards or this level of loyalty status at this brand you know who wants it you know Mm. make an offer i was like that's a that's a very interesting sort of different take on loyalty i'm going to book a time with you this time next year 
And I'd yep. love us to see what happened in the year 2022. I love your concept and your idea and, and not only your concept, but your, your framing of it. But I'd be fascinated to see exactly how that ex- gets executed, like you just explained, because it absolutely is a trade, is, is trading. And because by definition, they are, everyone is unique. Um, you know, that's the value. Uh, and maybe I'm talking a lot because I've been playing in the space a bit and I'm just fascinated by it. Um, but yeah, this time next year, let's talk about NFTs and if loyalty programs, especially the bigger ones, the, the frequent flyer programs and statuses, where it's a stat, something to swap around. Um, be fascinating to see what happens. Oh, Adam, I mean, that sounds fantastic. Let's book this in. This could become a yearly chat, I think, about uh, how loyalty evolves, whether that be in the digital crypto NFT space or, or just generally, because there always is so many different things that happen in this space, which is why I'm sure it, it keeps you, you know, keeps you busy throughout the <laughs> year, right? Um, look, we, we've covered some really fascinating topics. Is there anything else, any other predictions, any other kind of things on the horizon you want to, to talk about or even plug any upcoming reports or events or anything that we should keep an eye out for? Oh, well, first of all, Jason, this has been a, a, an amazing conversation and just hearing some of your your um, points of view and um, your your academia and and not only that, your experience around your research and various other aspects. I love the difference versus the difference. I haven't heard of that before and I've learned something new today, so thank you. Um, from, that, from my point of view, yeah, well, for Love or Money 2022 will be out next year. I only started I only started researching it in 2022. It's a big study, um, so that'll be something I'm looking forward to. And then this 35 Ideas or Renaissance is a report that I'll uh, uh, make available for all your listeners or everyone else. It's free. It's, as I say, my points of view and my passion points. But finally, yeah, what else do I see next year? Um, I, I, you know, if I can put it around simply, as I said, Earlier on, I think pro, there'll be a lot of reviews and revitalizations of programs. People will have some breathing space. They'll refresh them. They'll look for ways to take them out of the sea of sameness, whether it's the proposition, the experience, the technology. But programs will be revitalized, no doubt, in my mind. Um, financial fitness will be critical in 2022 for programs. Uh, technology and card linking will carry on. Um, the experience will um the actual member experience will continuously be refined and removing those friction elements uh, through new tech or um, just brands just taking away unnecessary steps. Um, you know, the use of voice, not voice, uh, sorry, bots on some sites I've seen for loyalty programs, making it, if I forget my membership, it's just a plug in your email and here's your membership number, removes queries from the call centers. I've seen, seen that happening. So streamlining and more productive use of tech to to help programs um, and personalization. The old big P that everyone continue. I don't think that's a trend. That'll sorry. I don't think that's new. That's going to just continue getting better and better and better um, in twenty twenty two. So wow, Jason, um, thank you so much. Thank you, thank you for sharing some of those insights and giving us a bit of uh, some of those predictions. For the next year, it does sound like, as you say, we need to catch up in a year's time and we'll hold you to account on uh, some of those predictions and we'll see if uh, this tokenized loyalty idea uh, does actually come to pass. I think it's one of those interesting spaces where it's easy to talk about but seems quite hard to actually do. So uh, 
Let's see. So, look, thank you so much. As a final thing, um, where can listeners find more about you, find out more about or, you know, find the For Love or Money report? Where can they find your predictions? Um, give us the so, give so us It's the all sitting on my relatively simple website, uh, thepointofloyalty.com.au. So it's all one word, the point of loyalty, uh, downloadable. The research has a free executive summary that you can download for free. If you want to buy the full report, it's available for purchase. Um, everything's there. And LinkedIn is where I most probably live and breathe most days, posting, writing blogs, commenting. Um, those are my two places. Or drop me a note and let's have a chat. Loyalty is the place to be. Amazing. Thank you so much, Adam, and uh, we'll look forward to catching up, you know, throughout the year on LinkedIn and it's hopefully at some in-person events, um, and if not, back here in a year's time to uh, check out those predictions. Thanks again. Thanks, Jason. Have a happy loyalty year. Well, thank you for joining me for this episode of Shopology. I'd love for you to rate and subscribe to the show for future episodes and help me share some of these insights as broadly as possible. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Shopology Show or me at Dr. J Retail or DRJ Retail and find me on LinkedIn at Jason Parlin. Please do reach out if you have any suggestions for the show or future topics. Cheers. Cheers.